The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So for the um, purpose of the recording, I'll start just a little, again for a little bit, this introduction about self-compassion and how in this era of COVID-19, you know, maybe we could use some self-compassion, help take care of ourselves and help to maybe work with some of the anxiety or fear or frustration, confusion, right? There's so much that we might be experiencing. So as as I had started to say before I turned on the recording, that self-compassion wasn't uh, really distinguished as anything different than just regular compassion in the classic Buddhist teachings. But in contemporary times, there's been a real recognition that maybe it's worthwhile spending some more time with uh, self-compassion, finding a way in which we can extend some goodwill to ourselves, and especially when we're having difficulties, and especially when we find ourselves under stress and and maybe I'm using this word suffering, kind of like the Buddhist word uh, suffering to indicate this wide, wide range of difficulties from really terrible uncomfortableness, uh, terrible suffering, to just a little bit of stress, irritation, this whole range. So some of you may know that Kristen Neff teaches about self-compassion. She's a psychologist, University of Texas, Austin. She's informed by Buddhist practice, but it's uh, very secular. I'm not going to teach Kristen Neff's uh, teachings about self-compassion. If you are interested in that, there's a lot on the internet. You can find her and Christopher Germer are teaching about this. But Self-compassion helps point to this idea that rather than making global evaluations of ourselves, or sometimes we feel like um, I'm a good person and then I'm a bad person, making these like gross generalizations. Instead, self-compassion helps us to recognize, okay, we are imperfect and we are human. And generating kindness and warmth towards ourselves anyway. So this the practice of self-compassion is about to turn toward our difficulties as best we can. I want to emphasize this as best we can because sometimes we might hear this idea of turn towards our difficulties and feel like that we have to stumble into the absolute most difficult thing and wrestle it to the ground. No, there's a. Um, this can be a little bit of an art or a practice, as it can be like maybe moving in, touching into some difficulties, and then coming back out. And coming back out can be you're feeling our feet on the ground, maybe like um, changing our perspective, looking at different things, getting oriented in the space. So we don't want to dive in in such a way that we become overwhelmed and then aren't able to use any of our tools or practices. But can we turn towards our difficulties? That is to stop turning away, essentially, 
I know sometimes I do this. I keep, I'm thinking that if I just ignore them, these difficulties will go away. And, you know, turns out that doesn't work so well. With greater and greater practice, I'm, it takes uh, maybe less amount of time before I recognize, like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to avoid that. And maybe it takes, uh, with practice, right, with the meditation practice and the compassion practice, my capacity to just uh, hold difficulties has certainly increased. So this is the, the promise that uh, meditation practice in general and compassion practice maybe more uh, specifically offers us. So the practice is to turn towards more difficulties and then embrace them with a feeling of care, with a feeling of a, kind of like a connected presence as opposed to a, you know, trying to shove things away. And with a, you know, maybe it's easiest to explain it as to treat ourselves the way that we would treat a dear friend, somebody that we care about. And uh, Kristen Neff uh, uh, had this in one of her articles that, um, just uh, kind of tickled me, and I'd like to share this. So the one way that she describes um, to have self-compassion is to imagine that a close friend calls you after she had just uh, split up with her partner. Her partner had uh, wanted the breakup, and your friend didn't. And, And then imagine if you were to say to your friend, well, to be perfectly honest, your partner probably left you because you're old and you're ugly and you're boring and you're so needy and dependent. You're probably at least 20 pounds overweight. And look, don't you have gray in your hair now? I just give up now. There's really no hope. Nobody's ever really going to love you. Right? This is awful. We would never speak like this to somebody. But we might have that kind of a tone when we speak to ourselves. So this idea of self-compassion is to speak to ourselves, to treat ourselves the way that we would treat a dear friend, dear family member, somebody that we deeply cared about. And we all know how to do this. We all know how to show care and compassion to people that are close to us. So here the invitation is, can we recognize how that is to take care of others that we just naturally do? And can we expand that for ourselves? So self-compassion isn't a way that we give, we allow ourselves to get off the hook for everything and we can do anything we want to do. But instead it helps provide the conditions in which we can make needed changes in our lives. Not because we have this feeling that we're inadequate and we have to make these changes, but because we care about ourselves and we wish to lessen our difficulties. We wish to lessen our suffering. So some of you might have heard this this story of the poisonous tree. So it might be that uh, we discover that there's a tree 
that's in our midst and it's poisonous. And our first impulse might be to go out and cut the tree down. We have this fear of poison, this fear of some impurity, and we put a lot of effort to root out and destroy that which might be dangerous or uncomfortable. But as our compassion deepens, this part of uh, maturing as an individual, and also our compassion deepens as more we do compassion practice and loving-kindness practice and even mindfulness practice. But as our compassion deepens, we recognize that this poisonous tree also is a part of this web of life. So perhaps we put a fence around it and we warn others of the poison so that they won't be harmed. And we treat uh, the tree and others with care and with respect. But then as we as our compassion deepens even more and our, maybe our mindfulness practice uh, deepens even more, we realize that our difficulties and poisons are our best teachers. So that is the wisest people, the wisest beings actually come looking for this poisonous tree and they use the fruit of it as medicine and they use it to transform the suffering of the world. So what we once named as poison is now recognized as an ally. And this is, and then our, we might think of this, that our difficulties um, become composted and create that fertilizer in which something else can grow. There's this uh, well-known book in, in the chaplaincy world. You know, right now the author um, escapes me, but it's called The Wounded Healer. This is well recognized that some of the um, best chaplains, the people that are able to serve others who are in need, are the ones who have had great difficulties themselves in the sense of that they know what it's like to have suffering. And yet um, they have found a way to the other side, or I don't know if other side is the right way to express it, but it's even though they've had these uh, wounds, quote unquote, it, it it sensitizes them to they can see it and feel it in others, and yet they don't feel overwhelmed by it. They don't feel afraid of it. They don't feel they have to run away from it because they've gotten to know it in themselves. They've gotten to know that the experience. Um, while unpleasant, and they aren't wishing that on anybody, can be, um, they can use it to, um, to fertilize their, uh, the way that they uh, show up in the world or inform, that's the word I'm looking for, the way they show up in the world. So self-compassion it's part of this process, a way that we can see some of our own difficulties, some of our own wounds, perhaps, and to hold it with care. And then from that will just naturally flow that we can help hold other people that maybe, maybe have the same difficulties, maybe not, but with the same type of care. So in this way, 
we can meet the world. And of course, we include part of the world too. But we can meet the world with our heart just as it is without this idea that somehow um, because we have difficulties or there are blemishes, quote-unquote, on our heart, that somehow we can't meet the difficulties or meet others or take care of others or um, show care to others. So our struggles or our ideas that we should become someone different or perhaps someone who's more lovable or whatever it might be, who is doesn't have wounds or is a better meditator or something like this, or our struggle maybe to grasp after, after an imagined happiness, this can drop away with, this, with practice, with loving-kindness practice, with compassion practice, and with mindfulness practice. So maybe with that, or maybe I'll like, I want to say one last thing before I do this. I, I do want to say explicitly that um, self-compassion, sometimes when we hear that expression, we might have this idea, oh, that's like being self-indulgent in some kind of way. And that we... Well, one thing is that we don't like to feel like we're vulnerable or that we're weak. And so this whole idea of self-compassion may feel really uncomfortable. But the truth is, we are vulnerable. (laughs) There's plenty of things that we're just middle-sized mammals, and there's plenty of things that we should stay away from. Cars going fast down the freeway is an obvious example. But there's also things, uh, including this uh, harsh stance that we might be taking against ourselves. So we can ask ourselves if we find ourselves where uh, the inner critic is really loud. We can ask ourselves, what is the impact of all this criticism that we might be having on ourselves if we're not being compassionate? What is the impact of all this loathing or a sense of lack or criticism, whatever it might be? It's the opposite of care. And things flourish with care, including humans, including ourselves. Maybe... We'll add to this that there's been lots of um, research on this whole idea of um, self-compassion. And it turns out that um, people who uh, have a self-compassion practice or in some other way, whether it's formal or informal practice of compassion, tend to have better health and well-being. And they tend to partly to engage in healthier behaviors, you know, obvious ones like exercising and eating well, because they care about themselves. And when they care about themselves, and uh, and then they behave in such a way, their capacity to be with difficulties grows. 
And they, um, there has been research that compares self-compassion with uh, self-criticism and as like in the workplace, what, like, what is a better motivator? And it turns out that self-criticism is not an effective motivator because it tends to undermine our self-confidence. And it leads to a fear of failure. If we're always criticizing ourselves, we have this, this not only a fear of failure, but it's a perfectionism where we can't get things done. But if we exercise some compassion towards ourselves, then we're more willing to take some risks, we're more willing to try something new, we're more willing to listen to others, and so in our professional lives, as well as, of course, in our personal daily lives, there can be a greater sense of success and, and some more objective success, too. So maybe I'll start, I'll stop there. And I'm just going to take a few minutes for questions. So I, I might not be able to answer all the questions, but if you, if somebody has a comment or a question, you can um, go down, to, if you're on a computer, you can go down to the, bring your cursor down to the bottom of the screen and where you see participants. And then if you click on that, you'll see that, um, there's a list of participants, and you can uh, raise your hand, and then I can call on you, and, and you can ask a question. Okay. You don't see questions. Actually, I can see everybody on one screen. So if somebody wants to just raise their hand or... Okay, okay. Oh, Abraham, yes. Hi, I raised my hand. Um, I recently had the experience of um, really having an unpleasant encounter with someone, and it didn't dissipate very quickly. I walked around pretty grumpy for a while and I knew I was going to go and sit in the afternoon. So I did. And I really expected that to show up and I was prepared and I sat down and I started meditating and um, it was almost as if something in me wouldn't let me go there. I just, the breathing was so easy. It was so luxurious. It was so intimate. And it was like, no, no. And it, it's, it's a longstanding argument I've had with this person. And, and perhaps I just felt like it was my inner being kind of saying, you know, you've gone there enough times and uh, it's time to go to a beneficial place. That was really surprising to me. Um, I, I was very appreciative of that, but it was almost as if there was something inside me deciding for me. The, 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 there's no need for this. You, you've explored this area. I don't know what it was. 
I, I, I'm trying to put reasons around it now after the fact, but I just know that it was, um, so that was surprising to me. Yeah. I don't know. If, yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Abraham. It can be in some ways, I had mentioned we can ask ourselves, like, is this helpful? This criticism or that kind of rehashing of things. And maybe there was a part of you that recognized, you know, this isn't helpful. Yeah. So maybe you didn't specifically ask the question, but this, uh, there was a something, some wisdom that recognized, I, I don't need to do this. And part of it might be because you had an alternative. You were meditating, you were sitting and felt like, okay, now this actually is helpful and supportive. Mm. to be doing this meditation as opposed to what I, what what you might alternatively have been doing you know rehashing yeah. i use that word rehashing you didn't use that word but uh, maybe you know play over and again and again i know yeah. this is common to yeah do. and i'm really good at that i i can really get down there and muck around you know and so this was very surprising to me nice nice thank you abraham yes lish um, I'm not exactly sure what the question is. Something about the role of mindfulness, especially around mind states. Because um, I can get, I can have a mind state that's doesn't really allow in self-compassion. So I, sometimes the first step for me is to become aware of the mind state. And just wanted to know if you had any tips around that or thoughts. So when you say mind state, are you saying that you, um, I was saying earlier, like that practice of compassion is to first to turn towards the difficulty. And maybe you're saying that the mind state is the difficulty and to uh, to turn towards that in the way that to first recognize that it's there or is that, is, is that the... Yeah, that I can create some of my own suffering. And that that mind state is, so it's, if, you know, what you've said is that compassion is when, you know, when care meets suffering. And when I'm in a really challenging mind state, I don't have the wherewithal really to do that. Yeah, yeah. So there's uh, a number of things we can do. One, right, if, um, um, if we have, if mindfulness is available, we can do mindfulness. But if it's not available, we can do a certain numbers of things that I mentioned just briefly. And these are, uh, like, I don't know what the word is. These are like big movements of the mind in some ways. And um, the obvious one is to feel one's feet on the ground. But also, I think uh, to uh, to orient in the room. So just to literally like be looking around and to uh, look at sometimes corners, which are neutral places, and it, and to move the head actually engages the vagus nerve and it kind of helps uh, calm down the nervous system. So we can do some big movements like this and gross movements to do this can help uh, calm down a little bit if we're feeling like we're a little bit too agitated and we can't... Um, can't get our bearings or we can't find some mindfulness. So that's uh, one thing. Another is, as I mentioned briefly, 
is to change our physical location, if at all possible. This isn't always possible, but it can be enormously helpful. I think so many of us have this experience. One, to go outside if we're inside, and two, if we, if it's possible, to look at a big view, you like where we can see some distance. It's uh, quite something that literally changing our view and where there's a little bit more spacious kind of can help uh, in the interior view too. It can kind of support getting, when we have difficulties, we so often kind of like get really, uh, you know, zeroed in on our difficulty and our whole uh, attention just ends up being kind of small around the difficulty. So if to literally have a bigger view somehow can give us a little bit more space. And then if that is supportive, then we can bring in maybe some of our other tools that we have, but that's a way to kind of start. Does, does that make sense? Okay. Thank you. Felipe. And then I think um, uh, after that, then after I uh, speak with Felipe, I'll um, guide us in a guided meditation. If we don't have enough time, maybe then we can go directly to the meditation. It's well. Um, yeah, it have... was just a, It was more like a comment, mm-hmm. short comment. The way I compassion is difficult, especially when you have a bigger uh, ego built over some years to take care of yourself. So this is coming from maybe some of the readings I've done in psychology. That ego was created to protect you at one point in your life. And uh, compassion starts with a compassion towards that entity that you created to just protect you when you were little and uh, keeps repeating the pattern because that's the way they learn to protect you. And uh, starting the, the, the idea that sometimes I follow is to have compassion towards that person that is also you. And saying in some way that you can rest now, you, you, can, you can calm yourself now. It's, you don't have to uh, do this work. It's, it's, it's safe here. And uh, in some way, trying to show it's not your fault what you were, the reason why you are behaving like this. It's just that you had the life that you had and now I'm trying to open this to, to you so you can rest. Yeah, yeah. I think that you uh, pointed towards something that's important, uh, kind of like safety, so that we can rest and that we can feel that um, we don't have to... Let's see, I'm thinking like what the, what the language is. That we don't have to be ready to pounce or to fight back. or, But instead, we can uh, recognize just what you said, Felipe, and, and notice that, okay, so I have this behavior, I have this habit, and, um, and it was there, it's trying to protect me. It's trying to serve me. It's trying to keep me safe and healthy in some particular way. And maybe to tune into that underlying 
movement, that underlying wish for safety and care. And that can make a big difference as opposed to um, like hating, like, oh, I hate that I always want to go eat cookies when I'm feeling stressed. Instead, can we remind ourselves like, okay, um, maybe, of course, I want to eat cookies. I grew up in a household where everybody ate cookies. I don't know, I'm just making this up. Or And like to tap into, well, this is just a way to try to help me feel better. It's born out of that sincere wish to have a different experience and to take care of ourselves. Okay. So, for a guided meditation, let's take an alert, upright posture, but also a posture that has some comfort and some ease in it. And then we'll start with taking three long, slow, deep breaths. Just as a way to connect to ourselves. Connect to this moment. And to support a sense of well-being or ease, we can do a body scan. Checking in with maybe the area of the face. It's very common for humans to hold tension in their face. In the shoulders. In the chest. Maybe there can be just a really small, really small movement opening up the chest, bringing the shoulders back. The movement may be so small that others can't see it. Relaxing the belly. Feeling the pressure of the chair or cushion against your body. Feeling grounded and supported. The upper legs, the lower legs. And the feet. Upper arms. 
lower arms, and the hands. And noticing what the hands are touching. Is it warm or cool? Smooth or rough? Noticing the feelings inside the hands. Maybe some throbbing or tingling. Pressure. We can rest our awareness on the sensations of breathing. in a relaxed way, noticing the movements of the abdomen or the chest. Maybe feeling the air going in and out of the nose. just stay here for a few more breaths, just hanging out with the sensations of breathing. And let's do a little bit of loving-kindness practice before we begin with compassion practice. So bring to mind a being for whom it's easy to feel love or warmth or care. This might be somebody you know, maybe somebody you don't know, but know about. And some people like to use kittens and babies and puppies. We can say some loving kindness phrases to support our intention of cultivating loving kindness. So having this lovable being in mind can extend these phrases. May you be safe. May you be happy. 
May you be healthy. May you live with ease. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. Allow yourself to feel the care that you have for this person, the warmth, goodwill, benevolence, friendliness, love. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. It might be that with this feeling of warmth, warm-heartedness towards the lovable being, that there might be some feeling of well-being or openness, spaciousness, warmth. It 
in your body. It might just be a quiet little part of your experience or it might be a dominant experience. Allow this feeling to support you. Now, to do some self-compassion, can bring to mind the time when you have had difficulties. Perhaps you experienced a conflict with someone you care about, or maybe you didn't succeed in something you wanted, or maybe you were physically ill. Notice how you feel when you bring this to mind. How does your heart feel? Do you continue to feel warmth, openness, tenderness? Are there other sensations, perhaps pressure or an aching sensation? So just as we would wish for a loved one, somebody that we care about, their suffering to end, in the same way we wish our own difficulties, our own suffering to end. So to support this, we can say these phrases. May my difficulties be eased. May I find peace. May my difficulties be eased. May I find peace. May my difficulties be eased. May I find peace. Notice how this feels in your heart. What kind of sensations do you feel? Do you feel warmth, openness, tenderness? Can you tap into a wish to take away your own difficulties, suffering?
May my difficulties be eased. May I find peace. May my difficulties be eased. May I find peace. And then to end this meditation, feel the pressure of the chair, the cushion against your body. Feel your feet on the ground. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. And for some people, self-compassion practice is not so easy. It might be that they have spent um, so many years of their life thinking like, oh, I have to do better, I have to do this better in some kind of way. Or they're used to chastising themselves or rather than expressing care for themselves. So now, why don't we get into some breakout rooms where you can share what your experience was with that, of doing some self-compassion practice and to have a... um, to explore maybe uh, sometimes when it's not until that we actually say things out loud that we really understand or can integrate what um, our experience was. So you have, um, I'm going to adjust this right here. You have um, 12 minutes. Yeah, 12 minutes. And whoops, some 
people just left, let me recreate these rooms so that they're, um, there we go. And you, uh, you have an opportunity to kind of explore and discuss what that experience was like for self-compassion, and then we'll um, come back and talk in a larger group. So there you go. Have fun. Bye. <laughs> share was was there anything interesting that uh, you learned there maybe some new um, self-understanding or some new ideas about self-compassion we have just a few minutes some of you are smiling that's a good sign well, i just want to acknowledge that um one of our group was in was was still sharing and so I don't know if they want to continue at some level in the bigger group or not, but just inviting that. Uh, that was me, Adam. Um, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm okay. Thank you, though, for um, let, for giving me that opportunity. Can you guys see the countdown timer for the? Yes, you can. Okay. To try to help mitigate that, I had it so that you can see how many minutes you have left. Anybody else have something they'd like to say? Oh, Abraham, yes. Sure. Um, it was just, to me, it was interesting as we were talking that I realized that the uh, the first time that I kind of tuned into um, self-compassion in terms of meditation was when I connected a feeling of deep love for my first teacher that I had. And I knew with what uh, love he looked at me, you know, it was like he really saw me and he really recognized me and I felt loved. And then I could turn that love towards myself. You know, there was a good reason why he was loving me. I was lovable. And that was really important to me. Nice, nice. Thank you, Abraham. Maybe I'll share one of my stories. I remember um, quite some years ago hearing a Dharma talk when the teacher was, talked about self-compassion and the importance of self-compassion. And I remember myself, I had this thought like, Pfft self-compassion that's just because you're not willing to work hard enough we need to work harder you know i just kind of had this you know had this mind state that i had and i felt like oh this guy's a ninny 
<laughs> and then here I am, right all these years later, going, you know what? Actually, he was right. <laughs> so sometimes it's hard, uh, you know, when we're so used to kind of uh, seeing the world one way or expecting something from ourselves to, to even hear anything different. For me, there's something about um, constriction and space that's connected to all of this. And um, when I'm sometimes when I'm activated, I really I want the constriction, I want the security, I want the tightness. It's familiar, and I'll create it in any way I can. And so it's harder to access the compassion. The compassion is spacious and open. So it's like a retraining for my deep psyche of trusting the space. Yeah, yeah. And maybe there can be um, some, I don't know, some appreciation and some warmth of holding this constricted space. Like, okay, it's okay. Things are constricted. This is what's familiar and how you feel safe. And maybe it can be okay that you're constricted. And so the warmth comes there as opposed to thinking that you have to be unconstricted in order to access the compassion. Can there just be a little bit of, I don't know what the word is, maybe appreciation or recognition, like, okay, construction's happening. It's okay. This is, this is what I do when I get stressed. It's okay. Something like that. Anybody else uh, have something they'd like to share? Okay, there's no obligation. So just want to say thank you all for joining me this evening. It's a pleasure to see you all and to be talking about some of these hard practices. And so may you find some warmth and care and sincere wish to alleviate, to diminish, minimize your own suffering and take good care of yourself, whether that's with a meditation practice or maybe it's just with Washing your hands a lot these days and not touching your eyes, nose, and mouth, or something like this. So, thank you very much. Good night. Well, maybe I'll unmute us all just so we can say uh, goodbye. So, just a warning, it's going to get a little bit uh, louder here. Okay. Oh, no, so. So good night. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Nice talking, Felipe. Thank you. Nice talking, Abraham. Thanks, everyone. Good night. Thank you, Diane. You're welcome. You're welcome.